Hello and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles. You're listening to 91.7 FM WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Got a great show on tap for you today. We've got two competitors in the Masters World Championships back from Manchester, England, Daniel Casper and Pat Whelan. Welcome, boys. Hi, Jason. Good to be here. Thanks, Jason. We're going to be thrilled to have you guys here. Um, we're going to talk a lot about track cycling today. Uh, you guys have uh, put in some great efforts recently. But, of course, we've got uh, some other news going on in the world of track cycling. The London six-day race is going on right now. And uh, it looks like a fun battle. Cavendish back on the boards again Cavendish is doing a nice doing, job. Doing some stuff again. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see that. Uh, he and Elio are actually yeah. racing in Ghent together uh, in a few weeks. So that'll be really fun. Elio Kaisa, yeah. who's a very famous, uh, uh, I guess, graduate. No, not citizen of Ghent, maybe is the best way to say that. Viviani is... Uh Doing monstrous stuff. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on uh, on the six day circuit. We've also got a couple of World Cups coming up in the next couple of weeks: Glasgow and then Minsk, I think, or maybe Minsk then Glasgow. Yeah. Yep, okay. are coming up, and we've got some U.S. athletes who are going to be participating uh, there as well. So lots of fun stuff going on in the world of track cycling. So um, let's talk about your experiences at Worlds. Uh, you guys both landed on the podium, bronze medals. Pat, you got a bronze in the scratch. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. I was uh, certainly, uh, this has been a good year for me. I've been feeling really strong and fit, and I was hoping uh, to be able to produce some uh, results and get on the podium. This is the second time ever, and it's they're few and far between for me, so, uh, so it was really, really exciting. That's an exciting result. That was also one heck of a um, field that Pat was in. <laughs> And, uh, Daniel, you had a bronze in the uh, two-kilometer time trial. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, there was one heck of a field I was in, too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's it's interesting. We'll talk a little bit about the competition there, but I want to kind of learn a little bit more about those events and how they played out. Specifically, Pat, maybe you want to start and talk a little bit about your scratch race. Certainly. So, um, like I say, I I was feeling pretty fit, but you never know. Um, I've said a lot of times, I'm racing in the older category, more mature <laughs> category. There you go. And uh, some of these guys don't look really fit, and you think, oh, no big deal, until you start racing them, and then it is a big deal. They are <laughs> really fit, and they've been doing it um, all their lives, uh, certainly a lot longer than I have. So their uh, strategy and their techniques uh, are more developed than, than I've been able to. Uh, I, they start you out in two groups, one down at the bottom of the track with some holders. Half the field is up on the rail. Uh, because my last name starts with a W, I was at the back on the rail to start. And they give you one neutral lap and give you the gun and get you going. So um, rolled off the rail and immediately, I think, Looking at my power files, I think I produced more power in the first half a lap, not racing, oh, wow. than the whole rest of the race, getting up to the front of the field so that I was at the front of the field when the race started. Sounds like a missing out start. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> That's about it. Um, so, you know, I was, again, not sure. I'm aged up into a different category. I don't really know these guys as well as my other uh, guys I used to race with. But uh, the field was feeling okay. We were going pretty fast and um, feeling good about maybe halfway. Um, a guy from Colorado came up through the field, and I know he's pretty fit, and so I got on his wheel. I had kind of been planning that strategy-wise before the race started. And then going through corner three and four, he moved up about a bike length, and the path closed in and behind him, and I got kind of pushed to the back, and a whole big gap that was significant opened up between me and the front runners again, and I thought, oh, no, this is not <laughs> good. <laughs> but they must have eased up because we caught up with them going through one and two again, and I'm like, whew, that was close. Um, and then it was just kind of hanging on. The last thing that I vividly remember is 
um, I think it was a Brit who dropped down into the lane with about three and a half to go, maybe, and um, on the home straight. And there was a lane that mysteriously opened that I dropped down into. I was up above the, uh, the sprinter's lane, dropped down onto this guy's wheel, rode it uh, for about a lap, and then I thought, I can come over this guy. And I know in Manchester that if you don't start passing somebody by the time you're on the home straight, you're probably not gonna pass them at the finish line. Wow. So I rode over the top of him, going into, on the home straight, going into one, and then just hung on for two laps. And somehow or another, I put in a, some really good sprint effort um, and got to the line. However, there was an Aussie guy who rode my wheel all the way to the line and nicked me right oh, at the line. Oh, man. By, uh, I don't know. Tire width, maybe. It was really, really close. I haven't seen the finish. Somebody was watching the finish and said they didn't really video the, the, the only video the winner. So, uh -huh. but it was close. Yeah. But it was still exciting. Third place on the podium. It's a medal. Among the best in the world. That's uh, pretty dang cool. Yeah. Daniel, uh, you, you ran into some pretty tough competition in your, uh, in your individual pursuit. Talk a little bit about your effort and, and how things played out for you. Yeah. So, um, I actually, you know, I was fairly pleased with the effort and, uh, there's, there's a, you know, it, it's a little hard to kind of figure out exactly how your effort measures up because that the track was running really fast this year. I think hmm. it's a combination of the conditions, their barometric pressure was low, they resurfaced the track last year, which makes a surprising amount of difference for a track that already felt like it was perfect. This yeah. was even more perfect. So, um, but uh, you know, it was kind of we, it was on our my radar that there were two Brits that were really tearing up um, the two K this year. Mm -hmm. They'd kind of um, come back to track after many years away. So it was not a shock when one of them um, blasted the world record. The the um, the heat right before mine. Hmm. So, but that does kind of <laughs> doesn't put a damper on things, but it can kind of tighten you up a little bit. I can so, imagine. I mean, it was it was so fast, two fourteen, that it was you know I wasn't even thinking about doing that. It was more an issue of just trying to qualify for um, probably the bronze at ride mm -hmm. at that point, and and I ended up qualifying for the bronze round. Um, I raced against Jesper. Um, um, a, a Danish rider that I've actually squared off against in the gold medal final the two years previous in hmm. LA. So I knew him quite well. Um, and I actually rode about a second faster in the final. That's a lot. It actually is. Usually, you know, you, 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 you kind of anticipate like a, maybe a second to a two second, um, slowdown on that second effort. Yeah. So I just didn't, honestly, I didn't have a very good, um, qualifying round and i felt much more relaxed and um kind of opened up in the final so um i'm hoping that the gap between myself and the two individuals <laughs> that smushed me pretty good is uh <laughs> they're, they're, i'm hoping there's kind of like there's some wiggle room in there but there's it's gonna take a lot of wiggling to get up to where they are yeah that sounds like it was a pretty impressive effort i mean two seconds difference for the two guys in the bronze or in the gold final. Yeah. And in, in, in a two K that's quite, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a chasm. Yeah, indeed. It, both of you have been on the podium before. Um, what does it, what does it mean when you walk up on that podium and knowing that you're among the best in the world and in, in what you just did? Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you're really aware, at least me, I'm really aware it's joyful. Uh, I'm excited, um, personally rewarding. Um, I'm not sure if I think about it as being um, top three in the world kind of thing. I, that doesn't um, cross my mind as much as I just feel like, okay, this year's worth of dedication and training has finally uh, come up with um, some really, really good results. Um, both of you know that here in the Minnesota area, I have to race amongst a bunch of kids and lots <laughs> younger people. And so most of the racing I do here, 
I've figured out is just training. And so this year I didn't go to US Masters, I just, my goal of it was Worlds. And so I've been training for a year for one week's worth of racing. Uh, so it was just rewarding. Daniel, you've you've been up there several times. You've you've been to Masters Worlds a number of times, and and the podium is a fairly common place to see you. What uh, what does it feel like this year? Um, well, I, I wasn't disappointed in the least. Um, feel like I I got I got beat by some pretty remarkable athletes. Um, so I, I was I was proud to share the podium with the two of them. I, I like the podium because it's this time where you know there's no more gamesmanship, and <laughs> and you're like everybody's pleased and uh, relaxed, and it, it it kind of it's kind of it's often where you kind of cement friendships. So uh, I, it's usually like kind of a fun time with the two other guys that are there with you. The the infield of the track has always been a place of real camaraderie. I mean, you talk about the gamesmanship a little bit, but I'm sure there's some of that. But you know, at the end of the day. It's a pretty small, tight-knit group, isn't it? You know, that's to echo Dan's um, comments. That's one of the things, too. So the guy that got me um, on the line, Graham, I uh, can't remember his last name right now, but, uh, I mean, he and I were like best buddies all week long. Then We'd talk to each other and joke a little mm-hmm. bit and, and uh talk about strategy because he was doing a 2k and he was in i think the gold medal round against a really fast guy in our age group and uh you know he had kind of a bum leg or ankle or something and he was struggling with that and he was sharing information like that so it's one of the things that um i i think danny has probably seen this me not so much all of a sudden you gain some credibility that you haven't had in the past Mm -hmm. when you get on the podium again. And it's kind of that part of it later on in the week is kind of rewarding in that you've gained, gained some respect amongst your peers. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Does that put a target on your back in the middle of a race? (laughs) It kind of does. It actually (laughs) happened in my points race kind of the first time ever. I my, ended up meeting my coach for the first time there as well. Funny story that I could maybe get to. But So we, some guy went off the front of the points race, and I happened to be at the front of the field, and I didn't think he was going to get anywhere. And I kind of rolled up on the back, coming out of turn two. And I turned around and I look, and everybody is waiting for me to go after him and chase him. And I'm thinking to myself oh my goodness I was kind of like a kid with a new toy I didn't kind of know what to do with the fitness I had I was like I've never been at the front of a field waiting for me right for them to wait for me to attack that's interesting yeah that's that's pretty cool and i mean you you made a couple of efforts uh and and they it looked like you were pretty quickly marked in that points race (laughs) (laughs) Credibility for you. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, Dan's, uh, he's had a giant target on his back <laughs> numerous times, and, and he's done well trying to figure out how to uh, minimize that target. You uh, you both competed in multiple events uh, there, as we've we've talked a little bit about with you, Pat. How do you, how do you manage your fitness and your preparation during the event when you know you've got, you know, four or five events that you've got to do the, during the week? Yeah, especially if you're 50. If you're in the 50 to 54, <laughs> and I want the UCI to hear this, you're treated unfairly. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You you had a lot of work to do 2K, those days. Tuesday, scratch race, Wednesday, points race, Thursday. Wow. And then consider that that's qualifying in the morning, finals in the evening. Mm-hmm. Difficult to get to sleep. I bet it all, is. You know, you're all jazzed up after after the final yeah so it, it's uh i think you just kind of cross your fingers um you certainly you know try to use as little energy as possible in the um mass start qualifiers but that's not always possible like that points the uh, scratch race for instance is a real crapshoot mm-hmm. and so you, you know you can you can just easily not qualify for the finals you can qualify um so yeah i think and you just you're, you're careful. You buy you buy your food ahead of time. 
you get out of the uh, stadium quickly, get home, put your legs up. Hopefully you're staying kind of in proximity to the, sta- to the stadium so that you're not traveling too much back and forth. And uh, I don't know. I Personally, I take a cold bath, kind of get myself reset, put my legs up, try to get a nap in, mm-hmm. and get back over. But, it, I mean, I will admit that by the, by the time the whole thing was said and done, I may not have been all my cylinders weren't firing quite as well as they had been <laughs> in that first two days. That's uh, it's tough to, to come back after that. Um, the, you were in that points race in particular, the final, you were kind of tail gunning the whole time. I noticed you were kind of sitting back. Oh, the points. Uh, yeah. no, I tail gunned for two, two, two sprints. Yep. Yep. And that was with that was intentional. And then is that kind of seeing who's going where and, and who's it's really just, it's, it's, it's understanding that you, that the, um, Strategy I, I was going to employ was going to be taking a lap, mm-hmm. and trying to get some points in the midst of that, and that's partly due to the fact that, for a variety of reasons, some unknown to me, others not, uh, I didn't have much of a sprint this year, mm. and so, you know, I, I I felt like that was my best chance, mm-hmm. and the best chance to take a lap, and again, UCI, I hope you're listening. They only have <laughs> us race sixty laps, which I know we're old, but still, that's a ridiculously <laughs> short amount of time. So, but in any event, um, that that was the plan is, you know, taking a lap when everybody's kind of spicy in the first two, first two sprints can be tough. Yeah. So, but if you can hold up, if you can be patient mm-hmm. and then attack after that second sprint, sometimes there's kind of a, an opening. That's what happened. I ended mm-hmm. up, you know, and you never know who's going to come with you, but I ended up bringing the, the French rider that ended up winning and another American with me and we made a lap together. Um... And tell you the truth, you know, placing on, in getting on, I, went, I ended up fourth in that mm-hmm. race, and, and getting on the podium was right there for me. It's just again that lack of a sprint really kind of sunk me because I, I couldn't, I couldn't out sprint my two brake mates. You talked about you know the sort of home setup that you have over there. This is the first time in a few years that it's been back in Manchester for the Worlds. You've both been there a number of times. What does it mean in terms of comfort level to kind of know where you're at and what you're doing and that kind of stuff? It's it's significant in that um, Dan alluded to it, uh, knowing the area, knowing where to to book a place to stay so that you aren't traveling big distances back and forth uh, between the velodrome and where you're staying. Because um, you, the days go by bef- before you know it. And I know one of the, you know, you've got jet lag coming into play when you get there. Um, one of the days I, I was kind of started to come down with a little bit of a cold early on in the week. Uh, the guy on the airplane next to me on the way over was mm. sniffling and hacking. And, and so one day I, I went to bed and, of course, couldn't sleep. Woke up in the middle of the night, which was in the evening here. Mm-hmm. Read for a couple hours, went back to sleep again. Before I knew it, I woke up. It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, man. And I, and I looked at the clock, and I just could not even believe that it was 1 o'clock. And I kept looking and pulled my phone up. Is it really 1 o'clock? Luckily, my races weren't until the evening. But, um, but it's good to have the familiarity. Um, plus, the people there that run the event are so friendly and so helpful and really professional in the way they run the events. Um, you can you can joke and laugh with them and uh, be friendly, but when they got to be serious, they're serious. Yeah, and you and you respect that. Um, I was I was surprised to see. Uh, so I wasn't surprised to see Brian Cookson, who is the former head of British Cycling and the UCI, yep. handing out medals and racing, and then jumping into races. Yeah, and hanging out and watching too. He was there a lot. Is that right? That's great. So did you share your feedback on the uh, race program with him? No. <laughs> no, I I was treading lightly. <laughs> Again, you don't want to push push your uh, push your luck. Limit. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, Somebody's got to take take the fall for everybody else. Yep. And the only problem is if I did complain about it, you know that they would fix it just in time for me to get into the 55s and then the 55s <laughs> would take right. that roll on. So I think I'm, I'm just it's like it's like purgatory. Yep. 
for this one age category, and then it gets better when you get older. Yeah. So. The, uh, the distances change, too, as you get older, obviously. Um, you've gone down to a 2K uh, when you moved up into the 50s, Dan. Talk a little bit about what that change in distance is for the, in, for the individual pursuit in particular. Yeah. It's pretty significant for the individual pursuit because a 3K and a 2K are, are physiologically very different. I mean, if I think of it as likening it to the difference between running the mile versus running the, the half mile. Mm-hmm. It's not quite that different but it's 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 a much more explosive and kind of um war of attrition um type of race yeah where typically guys who can buffer lactic acid who can get out quickly and carry that momentum um do a little better so it, te- it tends to be you tend to see a fairly significant slowdown um when you're riding um getting the most out of yourself mm-hmm. so but i i, I mean i I knew that was going to be the case when I was 48, anticipating turning 50. So I started doing a lot more work in the gym, mm-hmm. um, pretty explosive work. And and what surprised me was how much that translated into just being a better cyclist on the road. I don't care what 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 pursuit or what um, discipline we're talking about. It just it that that gym work really really helped. And so. Um, but now we're going back to the drawing board again because we just got our butts kicked pretty good. <laughs> but it is it is a different animal. And uh, I will say this. This last year, I was particularly, like, successful in long, longer TT events on the road. And so I don't know. I think in a perfect, you know, if I hadn't been somewhat distracted by that, mm-hmm. um, it's I probably should have been spending more like really specific effort um, type um, time training for that 2K, and then this year I I might have been a bit or miss on that. Hmm. This, that's again, we're still in the in the uh, the the stage of of kind of of contemplating. Yeah, we haven't come to any conclusions quite yet. <laughs> in case you're just joining us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've got Pat Whelan and Dan Casper in studio with us. They're just back from the Masters World Track Cycling Championships. Uh, Dan, you talked a little bit about uh, the team pursuit there as well, or alluded to that. Um, you've had a number of lineups. You've been very successful in team pursuit over the years, world record, and so on you've had a number of different lineup changes how does that affect your performance in an an event like that well if timmer's there everything's great (laughs) i noticed that your team was timmer and friends as soon as we remove timmer from the equation it it would it would appear that things don't go as well (laughs) um so so is is that a hint that you want Timmer to come back and? It is a hint, Timmer. Just, I'm hinting. And believe me, I've hinted in other ways too. <laughs> Some less subtle than others, I suspect. Yep. I've already bought his ticket. <laughs> <laughs> next year. So uh, I'm I'm assuming that you have to map that out pretty carefully with your teammates. Talk a little bit about how you play out or prepare for a team event like that. Well, it's tough because you got to figure this year. We had a guy from North Carolina. We had a guy from Portland. We had me from Minnesota, and we had a guy from Colorado. So, hmm. wow, that's that's difficult to um, to actually. We to, to be honest, totally honest with you, we never. We actually brought the guy from North Carolina on just for worlds, not nationals. Nationals can sometimes be a place to kind of come together um, and 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 get in a couple efforts advance of the actual race you mm-hmm. learn a lot that way yeah um but we didn't even the team that we had at worlds wasn't even the same as the one we had at nationals and so um we were lucky enough to get there early uh enough for all of us to be present on the friday before competition started on saturday and they had a two-hour session we, we booked and signed up for mm-hmm. that allowed us to do two 2k efforts without anybody else on the track and that was it so wow um you know the the lucky thing is you know if you if you all know how to team pursuit then things can kind of come together quite kind of in the moment mm-hmm. i mean and a lot of times you'll see this you'll see teams go much faster in the final than they do in the qualifier sure. partly cuz they're just getting used to each other yep and it is a luxury to be able to train at the same track with the same guys mm-hmm. but what we saw this year is that the brits had 
two teams just from the Derby track, which is just an mm-hmm. hour away from Manchester, and they they took first and second, mm-hmm. and 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 they're obviously well oiled, and they and they train together um, often, and, yeah, and they, and and their success is you know partly due to that. It's partly due to the fact that they're just really accomplished athletes, yeah. Um, but they obviously had really given themselves to preparation mm-hmm. and so i i will say that I, it, I get i get pretty jealous when i kind of talk to them and hear about what their setup is and how much time they get to spend together it's it sounds like a real luxury to to have that focused time together yep i'm curious to know just sort of mechanically in the race are you able to communicate with each other in any meaningful way while you're out there p- putting your effort in um you have some really rudimentary kind of um, signals you can send. So, for instance, if, if somebody's getting a little too happy with on the front yep. and going a little too hard and somebody shouts steady, that's yep. usually just a sign to just ease it back. Just ease slightly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but the problem is that, you know, and, and that did get said actually in our qualifier, hmm. and, and, and that can work. Um, and uh, but and it's 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 difficult to communicate really effectively, especially because you you don't ever want to say, "Hey, it's going great," you know, because <laughs> right. that can get misinterpreted. Yep. Um, and anything that you do want to say is usually trying to correct something, mm-hmm. and that's difficult to really kind of provide any kind of effective feedback. Sure. Uh, in the moment. Yep. Um, and so we actually kind of came apart in our final, mm. and there's a variety of reasons for that. And uh, and but I think part of the problem is in a final when you know that the other team on the other side of the, the um, track is 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 got the better of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you yelling steady at that point is, is isn't really going to help the yeah situation. the the cattle are out of the barn at that point yeah, right and, and nobody did in this case they were just yeah. trying to stay together and we just we just weren't maybe we there was certain issues around compatibility and, mm. and maybe even in our order we have i got a feel bad for we have one guy who's just so much larger than everybody else mm. and i think he's probably having to push a lot more watts in the draft because he's just not getting the protection right because we're all pretty small yeah that's a that's a tough spot to be in. I know that as a, a larger rider, I can't hide behind many people. Right. <laughs> Pat, you talked about moving up into a, a new age category this year. What was it like to figure out who were the the riders to watch and pay attention to? Oh, that's that's actually one of my weak weak points uh, when it comes to some of these things. Is that I've got a little bit of a handle on some of the people that moved up in my category along mm-hmm. with me. Um, uh, I, I kind of try to focus on my training and what I can do and do the best that I can at the time. And, and um, Dan's probably a better, uh, uh, better at this than I am is to really being able to analyze all your competitors. It's, it's it's not it's one of my weak areas and I probably should do better at it. I'm I kind of figure it out while I'm racing and <laughs> maybe that's a little bit too late. <laughs> Are you able to gather any meaningful uh, information about people during warm up rides? You know, open track time and that kind of thing. Not really. It's it's a little bit chaotic in the open open sessions. Um, People are doing whatever they think they need to do. A lot of people are trying to get down in the lane and and do efforts. I've pretty much given up on that. I do all my efforts above the stairs line. Wow. Um, you can go as hard as you want up there. And there's no traffic. And there's no traffic. <laughs> I make sure that if I get out in a field, because I fill the track on the open sessions, I make sure that there's a... And, it was actually kind of fun to hear another coach telling one of his athletes, okay, when you go on the track, stay away from that big group. And I'm like, I do that. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm doing something right. Get out in the area where there is nobody else. Right. I would say this, too. Not only does warm-up tell you nothing, 
even qualifying tells you nothing. Really? Yes. Interesting. Almost. It, it, so, for instance, never win a qualifier. It's just terrible luck. <laughs> and I went ahead and won. Who would do that? I know. And I went ahead and won the... Uh, See, and again, I'm using language I don't even want to hear coming out of anybody's <laughs> mouth ever. So I got the most points, let's put it that way, in the points race qualifier. Hmm. And then, of course, I got some people congratulating me for winning qualifier. And I just want to qualify, <laughs> but you cannot win a qualifier. You can only qualify. <laughs> That's right. You're just the first qualifier. And, and to tell you the truth, it's the guys that, are, that scored. For instance, our, our points race is so short now. That the qualifier being half that distance is only thirty laps, which oh, is man. Just ludicrous. Yeah, that means you have three sprints for points. Right. Well, you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out that as long as no one takes a lap, there's really only four points on offer three times. Right. That's Twelve points. Twelve separate points that can be earned. Right. So by definition, if you need the top twelve qualify, if nobody takes a lap, all you need is one point. Right. So, so a lot of guys are smart enough to know I'm better off doing as little as possible. I'm going to get that one point, yep. and then I'm going to sit back and make sure nobody takes a lap. Right. And so, anyway, I'm just saying that what happens in a qualifier Isn't often a good indicator. doesn't tell you. It, it, ironically, the one that I got the most points in, I did it by attacking with two other guys and getting a lap. Hmm. And um, and those are the two guys that got the lap with me later in the race. So So... I'm contradicting myself, <laughs> but oftentimes what happens in the qualifier really is not a good indicator. People yeah. are holding their cards. Sure. Especially the guys that are good enough to hold their cards. Mm -hmm. You've both been to uh, world championships several years now. Um, I want to sort of have you reflect back to your first experience at Worlds. You know, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your first time? your rookie Masters Worlds competitor? Don't room with Pat. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I did the first year I went there. And, and not, no, I, and I'm, I'm just, I'm being totally facetious. And we had to Pat, build a snore wall between the two yeah. of us. Pat, oh, no. was, Pat was, he was a, he's awesome, and he's a beautiful guy to be around, and he keeps you kind of motivated and, and loose. But he also does snore quite a bit, and we were in a tiny little room oh, no. together. And I did, we did build a snore wall, and he was nice enough to give me his iPad and download white noise that I blasted at the same time. Oh, man. So, and actually, that that had no effect on 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 how I did. Um, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was pretty fun, actually. Uh, <laughs> not really. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't so bad for me, but it was for Dan. Uh, yeah, I don't, you don't snore as far as you know, right? That's right. I never heard it. Didn't keep me up. So it's it's good to go into these events feeling really confident. Mm -hmm. But um, as I alluded to earlier, some of these people that don't look really fit, are really fast and really talented and really fit and surprise the crap out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so having said that, um, you need to get in there and, and realize that in a lot of times you're racing against yourself. You know, people talk about this all the time and I'm not sure if that's Quite true, but you really have to do the best you possibly can do for yourself and tr try to get some results amongst the field. Um, you know, I don't want to downplay that either because it's been really, really rewarding to be on the podium a couple of times. The mm -hmm. first time was more surprising than this last time. I, I was feeling pretty confident that I could do something really well this time. But you don't want to be too overconfident. You just need to realize, you know, do a little bit of homework, look at some of the results from previous um, previous worlds, and um, you know, if there's an event that you're going to use as your goal event, 2K was mine. Um, realize that 
check what those times got to be. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're going to have to race at. It, you know, it, it. I did personally well in my 2K. Um, <laughs> overall, it wasn't wasn't my <laughs> best event uh, by a long shot. But uh, so yeah. So Pat, okay, who are all these unfit people you're talking about? Because <laughs> like I. I the thing that hits me every time I go to Worlds, and it's like this, it's like when I first walk in and I start talking to people and seeing, you know, people that I, you know, kind of know from years past, I'm always struck by, I'm like, my God, these people are ageless. <laughs> and it, like, and you, you all of a sudden you're like, I don't even really care if I, if I do well at this thing. I think just being part of this endeavor if I can become ageless like that, that's that's not a bad deal. Yeah. So I mean, I know what you're talking about. There are some other people that are like, man, that guy's got a belly, and you can fly. <laughs> but the 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 general kind of perception I have is that these are some remarkably kind of dedicated and fit um, senior citizens. So, um, but I, I want to add one thing too. So. All seriousness, um, Pat can attest to this. So the first year we went was t- 2011, and we roomed together yeah. in this hotel. And I got, I, I think I won the pursuit by a, a tenth of a second. It was really a hard-fought, very stressful experience, going as hard as you could two times that day. And that was, I was done after that. I got sick. I was worthless. And it, it was, and it was so. It's it's been kind of a process for me to figure out one, what's in the air in Manchester that my body doesn't <laughs> like, and and then and then how can I kind of meter out my efforts and and recover more effectively? I think mm. I've gotten a lot smarter about how to sustain over the course of the whole week. Yeah, and it's still a bit of a challenge. There's usually by the the end of it all. You've got this weird track hack that that luckily this year never kept me up at night before it's competition, but in the past has. But I definitely, you asking about that makes me think back and go, man, I, I have progressed a lot just in my ability mm-hmm. to kind of sustain uh, fitness and form over, over the course of all those races. You, uh, you both came to cycling relatively late in life compared to people who, you know, in Europe in particular, grow up with the sport. What was the in? What gave you the motivation to go to Worlds that first time? So my first Worlds was in two thousand and nine in Sydney, mm-hmm. and prior to that, I'd um, through cycling met a really really good friend of mine who lives in Australia, and um, so between him and the coach. Uh, I had a local coach at the time, um, a guy named Chris Ferris, who's a great guy and helped me a lot. And he kind of pushed me in in my, my doubts as to if I could be competitive or not. And then I started looking at some times and thought, yeah, I probably am. And then the ability to uh, meet up with uh, Bushy, is my buddy's <laughs> name, nickname, uh, and he and I hung out together, spent a few weeks together down there, and it was good to have him on my side to give me a little bit of moral support. Um, and um, so that was, and the other thing is that optimism. I've been a pretty positive, optimistic person all my life, and I thought to myself, you know, I can race against these guys. I think I have the ability to race against these guys. Um, the more I went to Worlds and started realizing who my competitors were, um, kind of awe-inspiring, kind of a little bit like Dan is saying, ex-Olympians, um, uh, Portugal, I met up with a, a guy named Chris who was from Canada who was on uh, the original Polish Olympic team back a bunch of years ago. And there was some whatever political thing was going on, couldn't go to the Olympics, but talked to him and met with him and had some fun with him. But just start to realize that some of these people you're racing against are lifelong athletes that have been doing this at a high level for a whole lot longer than 
I have for certain. I, I don't know about Danny. Dan's been in the athletics uh, realm for quite a quite a bit of his life in one way or the other. Um, me, not so much. Uh, so um, it's pretty amazing to be part of this community. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it was pretty simple. My father got sick. He got uh, um, Alzheimer's at a really young age. And so I think about the time when I turned 45, and it's it's always nice to be the, you know, the youngster in the group. Um, <laughs> sometimes. Depends on the group. <laughs> but it's at least a, theoretically it should be advantageous to be youngest. So I think at 45, it beat this kind of, it came up as a question in my mind, you know, hmm. I would be the youngest guy in the 45 to 49. And I think without my father's illness, though, I don't think I would have uh, gone. But I think hmm. at the time I was under the impression that I very well might have some kind of genetic mutation that, you know, put me in jeopardy in my hmm. early 50s, too. So I figured might as well do it while I'm still functional enough. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I will add that I did have a car accident for the first time with a rental car this year oh no I, I hope that doesn't mean that i'm i'm starting to show signs of, of, of cognitive decline because that is usually the one of the very first ways to kind of uh um diagnose somebody is they, they have a unexpected car accident well it could be that you were driving on the wrong side of the road too right well but i mean i mean this, i'm literally this is my seventh year there i've never even come close to having any kind of an accident no. maybe you're a little too comfortable over there now that that might be it. <laughs> it, could be, it could <laughs> you both take a very different approach to training for for worlds. I mean, Daniel, you go out to Colorado and spend a lot of time out there and do a lot of road uh, racing throughout the season. Talk a little bit about your your schedule. Your what's your calendar like in preparation for worlds? <laughs> so um, so I've got a coach uh, through Training Peaks uh, that I acquired. Uh, actually, he's uh, new to me this year. Uh, and he's um, from Glasgow, <laughs> so he's from the UK and um, has some uh, taps into some of the British cycling uh, uh, knowledge. So that was been pretty cool. Um, I kind of like having a coach because I kind of need that person looking over the top that I have to be accountable to. I tried coaching myself for a few years and. It was okay, but wasn't ideal. Um, so having that, uh, I don't know, father figure, whatever, over over the top of me, going, <laughs> "Yep, yep, you got to uh, do better, do harder, go go more." That's one of the things that's that's helped me a lot. And I think this uh, new coach this year has really uh, upped my game a little bit. He's had me doing some things that. Um, my previous coach wasn't having me do. One of the things in general is that some of the um, some of the efforts that he prescribes for me to do, the warm-up session is actually harder than the work session. That so, seems counterintuitive. <laughs> so he really gets me up to speed immediately doing hard stuff and then lets me back off a little bit and then has me do these intervals afterwards. One of the good things about that is that mass start races, you don't get in them and ride around for 15, 20 minutes at an easy pace. You get in them and the pace is full on immediately. Wow. Um, the, the scratch race, um, first few four or five laps, I'm thinking to myself, holy moly, I'm glad I was doing the work I was doing because this is really, really hard, and I'm wondering when they're going to ease up, and then they eased up a little bit. <laughs> please you know? stop, please stop. And Thank I'm you. Like, okay, <laughs> so my training has played into this, and same thing towards the end of the season, doing a bunch of motor pacing here in Blaine. Luckily, had a gentleman, Dave Timpson, do that for me and change that so that my motor pace efforts actually mimicked some of these races. My scratch race was under seven minutes long, six wow. minutes and 55 seconds, average 44K an hour. Oh, jeez. So, uh, so for uh, those of us in America, that's like 25 miles an hour. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Yeah, 28. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because 40 is 40, Right, 40 is 24. 24. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So 
27 and uh, upper 27. Jeez, you, you're breaking the speed limit on Minnehaha Parkway, Pat. <laughs> well, in our motor pace efforts, when I talked to Mr. Timpson, I said, Dave, we're going to start out doing 40K an hour and move up between 40 and 50K an hour. Man. That's what I need to do to be competitive in my fields. Wow. And it played out well, so... So yeah, having that coach looking over me and checking all the little boxes and communicating well with him back and forth. Um, some of the feedback I got from him is that he's really excited to hear feedback from me. Hmm. Do I feel terrible? Do I feel sick? Do I feel overtrained? Am I tired? Am I really on fire? Getting all that information back and forth and he puts that into the equation and then comes up with, um, you know, what I got to do next. Yeah. Daniel, you've built your program largely on your own and it's, it's known and I can attest to the level of intensity of the, the workout. How have you developed your path? Uh, trial and lots of error. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. So, um, and I have kind of not hung my hat on that. I just, for whatever reason, I've been more kind of compelled to to do things myself, um, mm-hmm. to not have a coach, even though I recognize that, that a coach would probably be a great thing. It's partly just that I'm cheap. <laughs> and um, and then I don't, I've never had power meter, and I understand why those are, you know, really effective tools, too. Again, I'm too cheap. <laughs> um, and... I, I will say this, though. I do a lot of intense things. I really like working out a lot. I like that process mm-hmm. of, of staying fit, uh, not just to be a good bike racer, but to be you know healthy mm-hmm. and also functional in my job. But um, but I guess, I, I guess, though, that everything's up for um, kind of consideration at this point. Yeah. Because I, I, there's obviously some things I need to do if I'm going to... Um, kind of get to the point where I'm maybe riding 214. Um, yeah. And certainly I've started working on the other thing is I always prided myself on fitting myself on my bike, even though, and, you know, even though people are always telling me your head's up in the air too much and not aerodynamic enough, and that can make a significant difference. So I've been working with Chris Balzer. Yeah. Fit, um, Fit Guru, and I think we're... He was on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about the process that you have your changes this year. Yeah, he's... He, and he, he's, you know, really analytical and really bright, and um, I just really respect the way he, he approaches it and thinks about it. So I'm hoping we can kind of continue to work together on that. Um, he's got some really intriguing ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time... You know, one of the reasons I really liked track cycling so much is that it is simple, and and I think I, I when I when I came to it, road cycling there are all these changes going on in road cycling all the time, and everyone's kind of pursuing going faster and faster. And now you're, you know, I've got this seven year old bike with you know kind of mechanical with lots of you know cables <laughs> running around on the front end of it, which is you know not. <laughs> it's 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 dirty in the wind you right know? it's not air and you're riding all. with these guys with these sometimes you ride with a guy with a madone and you're like I, you can just tell that yeah. they're working hard, they don't have to work as hard so right but you also have you know have to pay through the nose for that kind of mm-hmm. thing and so i think one of the things that really attracted to me about track um was this notion that you didn't have to do all these little things and mm-hmm. i think that that's that's out the window now because yeah. you look at what they've been doing over in Britain in terms of just understanding aerodynamics and understanding the, the minutia and all the, you know, little things that can be done to save Watts here, Watts there. And that, that really adds up. And so, I mean, hats off to the guys in Derby cause they, not only are they remarkable athletes, but they, they've, they haven't, I don't think they've left a stone unturned. It seems like they've really like, they've tried to figure out how can we get the most, out of our equipment and out of our training. And so I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to kind of engage fully with that just because it's, it, it's just kind of, I don't know, I like things simpler than that. But at the same time, I think if you don't, um, then you're conceding yeah. um, too much. And the other thing I will say, I know it seems like I do a lot of intense stuff, and I, and I, I do like to 
do some silly things like jumping up stairs or, <laughs> you know, and I, and I like doing what would be considered fairly intense gym work. But I do think that in some ways I'm one of those people that I just like to ride my bike. And a lot of my training and intensity is kind of organic. Like I'm like, hmm. and so I think that, I think I probably need to look at being more systematic in, in, and, and more intense mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but more intense, um, Dave Gray always tells me, you know, you need to stop riding your bike just for enjoyment. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of... What? That's not like, right. I know, it doesn't sound right. But, but I, think he's, I think he's right. I think yeah. He's like, you know, you need to really suffer more often and deep, more deeply than you do. Yeah. So, I, I want to come back to that because it's an interesting conversation. But, uh, you know, we've got some fitness opportunities for students here at McAllister as well. They've got yoga for anxiety ma- management uh, that will guide students in understanding and developing tools to manage their anxiety. Each session will explore breath, movement, and grounding techniques. A six-week session is led by Jacqueline Villas Viestra, yoga instructor specializing in yoga for mental health. And classes run on Tuesdays from 445 to 6 in Studio One here on campus and start on November 5th. All abilities are welcome in space is limited. You are listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. In studio with me, two competitors at Masters World Championships, podium finishers uh, at the event, Daniel Casper and Pat Whelan are here. And Pat, one of the things you said at the very beginning of our conversation today was sacrifice. And I know how hard both of you worked all year long to get to this. What what does it mean? What's that sacrifice look like? And, and how do you balance that with real life? Yeah, I, I have a um, very understanding wife <laughs> <laughs> to start with. Um, um, I, in the past, owned my own business, and so I had some flexibility there. I retired at the end of this last year in 2018, so... I've gained some more flexibility because of that. So that's a good thing. But I know one of the things that <clears throat> drives me every day is, again, I've talked about it, training peaks, this uh, ability to calendar what you're, you're going to end up doing. <clears throat> when I um, look at my week or the next day or the next couple of days, the first thing I look at, kind of a little bit demented, is um, <laughs> what does Training Peak say I need to do in the next day or two or three days? And then I build the rest of my day around that. Um, what else can I fit in and still be healthy and fit and still be able to get, <laughs> get enough <laughs> sleep and rest? Uh, but <clears throat> the focal point is that, that training element, that, that time that I need to put into training. Um, so that's uh, hmm. that's kind of driven me. Um, Giving you a routine and a regimen. Yep. Yeah. And Interesting. Uh, so so it's it's always that at the top of my list. Yeah. It's, okay. What do I got to do to train? Then I can do the rest of my life. Hmm. What uh, you've been on the podium several times now. What's what's the next motivator? You know what what is it that's going to put you both into that mindset to get better? It's not going to be when they tear our track down. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 going to be the challenging thing is that this is the tenth World Championships that I've been to, um, and my thoughts is that maybe ten is enough. Um, but then I got on the podium again um, right away the first race that I was in, and I'm thinking to myself. Uh, maybe ten's not enough. <laughs> maybe there's more in me. Maybe there's more in me. Maybe uh, maybe I can. But the the challenge is going to be now um, trying to figure out how to train for track cycling and track racing with no we track. We don't have a track. Yep. Uh, and so that may be a bit of a motivator in that can I be as fit or fitter in 2020 as i am in 2019 not having sports specific yeah yeah what about you daniel you've been on the podium several times and this is your what eighth year yep yep uh let's see six 
ninth. This was my ninth. Yeah. We went six years in a row to Manchester, two to L.A., and then back to Manchester. Yeah. So, so what, uh, I mean, obviously you're already thinking about how to how to do more for next year. What What is it that drives you? That's a good question. <laughs> Um, I don't know why it is. I, I, I've, you know, I, I was a kid when I was a little kid, like in before, like eight years old. I, all I really wanted to do was push my body. Um, I like running. I ran a marathon when I was eleven. You know, wow. I was, I was just kind of a little nut, and, um, <laughs> and I think I, I kind of resisted that. Um, even though I competed, you know, in high school and college and after college as a runner, I. I still resisted the notion that that was, you know, a suitable way to kind of spend your time. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of models around me that were more altruistic and kind of outwardly focused in their kind of what their energy went to mm-hmm. um, and the impact it had. So it and I recognize that, you know, going to worlds and spending that much time, you know, kind of on your own fitness, there's an element of selfishness to it. And um but I think I've kind of come to terms with the fact that that's that's just, that's just what drives me, and I I also think it's really important to figure out what it is that kind of works for you, and if you're lucky enough to be able to kind of engage at you know kind of a high level that way, then um, just keep seeing what's possible. Yeah. Um, but and and I I absolutely love track cycling specifically. It's just such a pure form of the sport. Um, can't imagine um i mean i like road racing and but I, nothing nothing's quite like riding on a track against against other people or against yourself there's that uh centenarian that hundred plus year old guy in france who's <laughs> every year goes out and sets a new age group world record <laughs> yep. you, are you hoping to be that guy i i don't know i mean i i will say this like i said earlier i when i get to worlds and i see all these different people and kinds of people um, who are kind of committed just to to their own f- to fitness and kind of com- and to being competitive and just to enjoying the sport? I, it, it's that inspires me. That 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 makes me think. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna come back more for this again. Um, I, I can't speak to that in the future. I do think not having a track, I kind of ironically might be kind of a challenge. And a, and a puzzle that I want to try to solve, hmm. which is, okay, how do you become good? Um, when you can't train for when, it. When, well, when you can't yeah. train it specifically right. for it. Yeah. yeah. Can, and, and I will say this. I am, I'm, I'm not retired yet, <laughs> but um, I, I'm really lucky to work in the Minneapolis Fire Department. They, are, they let me move my schedule around, work and trade with uh, others on other shifts, um, to create time off to train, and 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 the fact that they they they're flexible enough for that is is kind of a big part of what allows me to mm-hmm. kind of pursue riding at a high level. You know, yeah. You know, I may not be the most talented guy, but if if I can outwork you, at least I have a chance. <laughs> I'm serious about that. Yeah. Pat, what uh, what's your future like? I mean, are you feeling like this is a forever kind of discipline for you? Well, it, it, it kind of is. Uh, you know, Dan's touched on a couple of things. Uh, I've, in previous lives, I've been involved in racing, but it was automobiles and a variety of automobiles, and there was different levels all the way up to, uh, like, uh, top fuel funny car kind of thing, which I kind of figured was, like, the purest form of speed. <laughs> and that's actually part of the reason why Dan mention it that I like track racing as well is that it is the 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 purest form of cycling it's the minimalistic bike even though the bikes can be really pretty sophisticated in aerodynamics and wheels and da 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 da, da power meters and all mm-hmm. those kinds of things um, so it's um, you know the other thing that somebody probably smarter than me mentioned when we had a discussion at our track one time and his first name is Dan and his <laughs> last name starts with a C. Uh, Dan Casebeer? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one. He um, mentioned to me something about we had a discussion about who was going to Worlds and uh, and he said, 
if the only reason you're going to Worlds is because of the metal, then you've got kind of the wrong idea in mind. <clears throat> so the, 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 the joy that you can generate, um, maybe that's, that's it, what I, what I felt sitting around or standing around that podium area this year is it's just this infusion of goodwill and joy and happiness. It doesn't last very long because <laughs> as soon as you won, you got to start working on um, getting the very, yep. Um, I'm already in my training plan for 2020. That's part of the reason I rode over here. I was already in the weight room last night. I already did some other bike-related stuff. So, so, uh, so looking to that joy... Of life, I yeah. Think, is what it amounts to. Well, it's, uh, I, and I know I can speak for a lot of people to, to see the work that you both put into this and the results that the, that work has delivered is is really inspiring, mm-hmm. and it's been really fun having you both on the show today. I can't believe we've already <laughs> gone through our hour together. That went almost as fast as this last year. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. You've been listening to Daniel Casper and Pat Whelan, our uh, Masters World Championships competitors. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jason. It's been fun to be here and share some of this. Yeah, honored to be here. Thank you. All right. Jesus, I don't want to be a candidate for being number one.